hot potato right here, and I threw it to you. And you grabbed it, and it was just out of the oven. What's the first thing you're going to do? Drop it. Everybody say, drop it. I mean, quick. That's why we say, let it go like a hot potato. Drop it like a hot potato. But now, if you're in the ocean drowning, and I throw you a lifesaver, you're not going to drop it. What are you going to do? Hold tight. Everybody say, hold tight. Because one thing you need to let go of, another thing you need to hold on to. Now, last week, we talked about some things you need to let go of. And I, and I share with you that I really felt the Lord put on my word a heart. <laughs> Forget about all of you who are at home watching my streaming video. It's been a long day. Put on my heart a word. That 2020 and the success of it, your spiritual victory, uh, your spiritual growth, that a lot of it is going to swing on, hinge on, our willingness to let go of things we ought to let go of. Got to let go. If you hang on, Jesus said it comes right down to, if you hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you'll find it. So the kingdom of God really consists of, if you're going to go forward in Jesus, you've got to let go of some things. And it really is progressive. It never stops. You've got to let go of something somewhere along the way. This week, um, I was watching something, and I was really into it. And the Lord said, you know, you really need to pray. I didn't want to let go of what I was watching. But then I thought, but I've preached to all my people. they got to let go. And, Lord, I know that if you're telling me to go pray, I need to let go. So I turned that thing off, and I went in, and I got with God. It was far better than what I was watching, right? So life, Christian life is a series of letting go. But the flip side is there's things that we've got to hold on to that we should hold on to like a lifesaver in the middle of the ocean uh, and never turn loose of it until Jesus comes. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. I want to tell you about hold tight, talk to you about hold tight. And I'm going to share some verses quickly about one of my favorite people in the Bible. He's one of David's mighty men. David had a top three mighty men. Then below the three, there were 30 mighty men. And the 30 never attained to the three. If you were in the three, you were the select of the elect. And the guy I'm going to read about is one of the top three. His name is Eliezer. And I want you to look. It says in 2 Samuel 23, verse 9, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Never name your child Dodo. If there's a dodo in here, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> hey, dodo, what's up, dodo? It doesn't work. But Eleazar overcame his daddy being named Dodo. Now, watch, look, he's a mighty man. So Eleazar was the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David whom, or when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. Now here's Eleazar fighting hard. They're all fighting the Philistines. But the rest of the army chickened out and retreated and left Eleazar standing there alone. You know, folks, sometimes you've got to fight alone. Sometimes those you're depending on, leaning on, will walk away. 
and you find yourself alone, and then you find out what you're made of. Because if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you know that though you're alone, you're not alone. And so Eliezer said, well, they're a bunch of cowards, but not me. I'm going to stand up in the name of God. And he arose, verse 10, and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. Oof. That gives me Holy Ghost bumps every time I read it. The Lord brought about a great victory that day at the hand of one man who worked with God and flowed in God to defeat an army. But I want you to take note of those words, his hand stuck to the sword. So we could say he held on tight. Amen? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. How we need, Lord, to hold tightly to some things. How easily so many in our day are letting go too easily of some things they ought to be holding tightly to. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us today and put in us the spirit that was in this man, the same spirit that was in Jesus and Paul and Peter and John, this never-quit spirit, that we will win a great victory for the Lord, though we fight alone only with you at our side, Lord. But you make us a majority, and we thank you that with you we're a majority, though we're a minority in the natural. In Jesus' name, Church, breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, today, speak to my heart. Help me to hold tight and to fight until I win. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to somebody and say, hold tight before you're sitting down. Hold tight. Tell somebody, hold tight. Amen. Now, just a quick little recap about from last week about things to let go of. We've got to learn to let go of some things. We've got to be willing to let go of some things that we think we can't live without, but we find that when we let go of them, we could live without them. And so if it's a hindrance to your walk with the Lord, whatever it is, you need to let go. Everybody say let go. If it's an unnecessary weight that is a drag on your faith and a drag on your walk, we need to let go. If it's something standing in opposition to the will of God for your life, you got to let go whatever it is. We need to have the willingness to let go. And if we will, I believe that's key to being able to move forward in 2020 and not get bogged down in hanging on to something that is not near as good as what God's going to give us if we let go. Amen? Now, Today I want to talk to you about the opposite of letting go, and that's holding tight. The Bible not only says uh, you need to let go of some things, but it says we need to hang tightly, hold on tightly to some things that are very important, that are as important to our being able to reach the finish line as letting go. We're to hold tightly to some things. Both are important to our walk with God. We've got to hold tight. Now, the account of Eleazar is a physical picture of a spiritual truth. Here's a man in the middle of a battle with the Philistines. And the Philistines in the Bible were always a picture of Satan in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Philistines were a picture of the devil. When David went against Goliath, it was a type of us going up against the devil. The Goliath, Goliath represented the devil. 
And David brought him down, not by might, not by power, not even really by a sling. He brought him down by the name of God. And God anointed him and anointed that rock to go right into the forehead of that giant. But apart from the name of God, he would not have won. But he won. And so here's Eleazar. He's going up against the Philistines. And the Bible says that the battle became so intense and it took so long that his hands stuck to that sword, that when he went to let go of the sword, it was hard prying his fingers off. He had held so tightly to that sword. And I see a picture there that you and I have not a physical sword, but we have the sword of the Spirit, says Ephesians 6, and it's the Word of God. And as he held tightly to this natural sword, and because he held tightly, he won the victory, though it took a while, we are to hold tightly to some things and never let go of them because it's key to our victory if we don't let go. You got to hold on when you don't feel like you can hold on much longer. You got to keep going when you feel so tired, you feel like you can't take another step because the promise of God is, I'm going to come through with grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Though you are weak in the natural, I'm going to make you strong in the spirit and you're going to be able to go on in me. Amen? So you and I are in a battle. If you know you're in a battle, say amen. Amen. We're in a battle with the devil, and there's some things that we've got to hold on to, like Eleazar held on to that sword and refused to let the devil pry it out of our hands. We got to hold on. Say, well, Jeff, what have we got to hold on to? I'm glad you asked because I I want to share some things with you. Here's what we need to to Eleazar. His life depended on hanging on to that sword. Your spiritual well-being and mine depend on hanging on to three things I want to mention today. First of all, we've got to hold tightly to the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. If you love the Bible, say amen and give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. I love the Word of God. I'm so thankful that God gave us the Bible. Matter of fact, those 66 books that comprise one book is God's love letter to you and to me. He wrote to you and me. Now, what if you had somebody in your life that said they were in love with you and, and, and they wrote you a long letter? What would they think if they got the long letter, if you received the long letter from somebody that said they loved you, but you never took the time to read it? Let me ask you, do you love them? If you don't take the time to read the love letter they sent to you, does that say much about your love for them? No, let me tell you, God sent us a love letter of 66 books, and the Bible says that it's, it's, it's sweeter than honey and sweeter than also the honeycomb. It's better than gold. It's better than silver. It's better than treasure. It's better than anything this world could offer. It's a love letter from heaven, and when we read it, we are responding to the love of God towards us, Because he said, I love you so much, I'm going to give you my son, but I'm also going to give you an instruction manual for living, and I want you to read it. It's my love letter to you. Amen? Now, we got to hold it tight. Can you say with me, hold it tight? Now, when I say hold it tight, I mean hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to the Word of God. Hold on to the truth of God, that no matter what the culture says, no matter what your emotions say, no matter what your feelings tell you, 
The word of God is always right. It's never failing. It's irrefutably true. It's always going to be true. Jesus said, thy word is truth, and that is true. God's word is true. So when I say you got to hold it tight, that means we love it so much, we hold it close. You say, why, Jeff? Because the devil is always out to steal the word of God from your heart. That's why you got to hold it tight. There are people all over America and all over the world that are letting go of the word of God in their life because the devil is coming in with doubt and giving them doubt about it. And, and I'm seeing something that we've got to get serious about hanging on to the word of God. God gave us his word. He gave us his truth. He gave us all the promises. The Bible says that by the promises of God, we become partakers of God's divine nature. It's so important that we're in it every day. I read God's love letter to me every day. You've got to read it every day because man shall not live by bread alone. Come on, everybody. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the Bible says about itself, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out by God. It is straight from the mouth of God. And the Holy Spirit moved on holy men of old, and they wrote as they were inspired and moved by the Holy Ghost. So what we have is God's Word right to us. When I open it, I'm not opening just any book. I'm writing the only book on earth that didn't come from earth. Amen? It's the word of the living God. But see, the devil is always out for the word of God in you. He wants to steal it. Jesus gave us a biographical sketch on the devil. And he said, when the devil shows up, he shows up for three reasons only. He shows up to kill. He shows up to steal. And he shows up to destroy. That's the only reason he shows up. He said, he said, the devil comes, never comes, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. So when he shows up, he's got a motivation, and his motivation is to kill what God has given you, to destroy what God has given you, and to steal away from you what God has given you. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a monster. He's a creature. He doesn't care about your tears, sorrow, or heartbreak. He's out to steal from you, and he wants to steal from God's children because if he successfully steals, he gets our testimony, and he gets our faith, and he gets our power. Jesus said he's a liar. How do you know the devil is lying if he's talking? If he's talking, he's lying. And the first time we meet him is in the book of Genesis. And what is he doing in the book of Genesis? He immediately, the first person he approached on earth was Eve. And what was he after? The word of God given to her. He, first three words out of his mouth were, were lies. He said, has God said? Now what he's doing there is he's saying, Eve, are you sure? Are you sure God said that? Are you sure God said that you should not eat of the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of the good and evil? Are you sure God told you to avoid that tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are you sure he said, don't eat it? Are you positive? Now, in that, in that question, he is casting doubt on the character of God. He's casting doubt on the word of God. And he's out to steal the word of God out of her heart. Because if he can take the word out of her, then he can cause her to fall. And so once she 
Listen to him. And he said, look at that tree. It's so pretty. Look at that tree. It's so good for food. And he appealed to the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And when she looked at it and listened to him instead of the word of God, he stole the word out of her heart and she ate and she fell. And it's the same thing he does with us. He comes to us and says, are you sure God said? Because look at that. Isn't that pretty? Wouldn't that be good to consume? And, 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 and wouldn't that be a blessing to you? He lied to her and said, God doesn't want you to be like him. But if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. So he appealed to her pride. So seeing the, the tree was good for food, seeing that it was pretty, and believing the lie, she ate and she fell, and she gave to her husband, and he fell, and we are here because of it. Jesus had to come because of it. The world was dropped into chaos and pain and sorrow because of it. And so I want you to know, the devil, when he comes to you, he's after the word of God in your life. Has God said? Did God give you that promise, really? Are you sure he saves? Are you sure he's the only way to heaven? Are you sure he heals? Did God really say that? Did God really say you ought to walk in purity? Did God really say that you shouldn't go here, go there, do this, do that? Are you sure God said it? And if he can get you to questioning and listening to him and fellowshipping with his lies, he'll steal the word of God out of your heart. And that's why I'm telling you today, we got to hold it tight. Come on, everybody. Say with me, hold it tight. Hold it tight. Jesus said he's after the word of God in your life. He said even when you first hear the gospel, Jesus gave a parable called the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, he deals with four different people that hear the word of the kingdom. That means the gospel. And the very first one is a person whose heart is hard. And Jesus said they hear the word, that the seed of the kingdom is sown onto their heart. Now, the seed is the gospel, the good news. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would never perish but have everlasting life. That's a seed. And Jesus said that seed went on that hard heart. And Jesus said the hard path where some of the seeds fell represents the heart of a person who hears the good news about the kingdom, but they don't understand it. They don't understand the gravity of it. They don't understand the importance of it. And then Satan comes. I'm quoting Jesus. Then Satan comes. Everybody say with me, then Satan comes. When did Satan come? When the the seed of the word was sown. Then Satan came. When did he show up? When the seed of the word was sown. Why did he show up? To steal it. Because Jesus said, then Satan comes and snatches away the seeds from his heart. Notice, the devil was not concerned until the seed of the kingdom was sown. Then he showed up, and what did he show up to do? Steal it. He wanted the word taken out of their heart. So this person, you know, like say on a Sunday morning, you hear the gospel here. And let's say you go and you get in your car and you drive away and think, well, that was really something. I never thought about that, that I need to be saved, that Jesus was the Messiah. I need to really think about that. And before you get two miles down the road, the devil puts a thought in your head. And he says, he says, hey, what about those bills you need to pay? And isn't that something what your kids have achieved? 
and, and you need to get home and, and mow the lawn, and you need to get home and take care of this and that and the other. And, and have you thought lately about your aspirations, how high you want to climb in your business? And before you know it, you're thinking about everything but what you heard. And the devil, in a short time, has snatched that word out of your heart because he's a thief. He's a liar. He's a killer. He's a destroyer. And he wants you in hell, not in heaven. Lost, but not found. Blind, but not seeing. And so he, he lies. And Jesus said he lies. And he, and he took the seed out of this man's heart. And they don't hold tightly to what they heard. And they, and they lose their soul. So, so here's the deal. You got to hold tight to the word of God. We got to hold tight to the word of God the promises he's given us. I thank God for the promises of God. I thank God for, for the sweet promises that, that if I put my faith in him, I'm saved, that, that, that he heals, that he provides, that he guides, that he speaks, that he strengthens, that he gives peace, that he's my savior, he's my provider, he's my healer, he's my all in all. I thank God for the promises of God. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to let the devil come along and steal it. Now, now the flip side of this is Mary, little mother Mary, that little teenage girl that Gabriel appeared to, and he said to her, you're going to give birth to the Christ child. You're going to supernaturally conceive. And what is supernaturally conceived inside of you is going to be the Messiah that everybody's been waiting on for centuries. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. And it says, later... After Jesus was born, shepherds showed up. And when they saw Jesus in the manger, they knew that the angels that had appeared to them had told them accurately about him. And they spoke many things over Jesus. And so listen to what it says Mary did. Mary kept, everybody say kept. All these things, what was spoken about her son, she kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. Now, When you get a safe, you buy a safe because you believe whatever you're going to put in it is safe. That's why it's called a safe, because what goes into a safe should be safe from theft happening to whatever you put into it. Now, Mary's safe was her faith and her heart. She had received the promise of God. You're going to give birth to the Christ child. This is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it says when she heard these words, she didn't easily forget them. She didn't take it lightly, but she kept them. That word kept means uh, to guard, to protect, to keep safe. She put the word of God in the safety of the safe of her heart and her faith. And she said, isn't any devil going to break in and take away the word of God given to me? I am going to lock it down. I'm going to lock it away safe. And not only that, but I'm going to rehearse it all the time. It says she thought about them often. So often she thought, I'm carrying the Son of God. I gave birth to the Son of God. This is not any normal boy. This is the Messiah, the Son of God. And she rehearsed it, and she continued to meditate on it, and she refused to let it die in her life. See, if the devil can't steal it from you by doubt, he'll steal it from you by causing you to forget about it. But Mary said, not only am I going to lock it down in my heart, but I'm going to constantly rehearse it and confess it and meditate on it and never let it be forgotten. 
I'm holding close the word of God. I'm holding tight the word of God. But what has God promised you? What has God promised me? You know what? The devil's going to try to steal it. That call he gave to you. There's people, I believe, watching perhaps right now by streaming videos, some in this room. You used to be so on fire for God. You were all excited about what you felt was a call on your life. You were expecting God to do this, that, or the other. You were burning with a promise. Zeal, you were like a lit up sparkler, 4th of July sparkler. When you walked in, the whole room lit up because you were sparkling. But then life happened. And some setbacks happened. And some disappointments happened. Some letdowns happened. And when these things happened to you, they began to overshadow the promise. And they began to overshadow the call. And they, it was like cold water being poured on the fire of your zeal. And the devil moved in in these setbacks, and he stole away from you your zeal and your excitement. Now you're just kind of going through the motions, and it's all duty and not delight. Well, we got to go to church today, punch the time clock, do our Christian thing. We get all clock-eyed during church. He's going a little long. When did you say this service was over? Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to live that way at all. I want to live with a living, breathing, pulsating, fiery relationship with Jesus Christ. So you got to say to yourself, whatever the enemy does, my God is going to raise up a standard against him. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. I may be down, but I'm not out. The devil will not finish the count over me. I'm going to get up again because the righteous man falls, but he gets up again. I'm not down for good. I'm going to get back up because the God of resurrection lives inside of me, and you can't keep a good man or a good woman down. The Holy Ghost is going to get you up again. Come on, everybody. I'm not going to let the devil steal the word of God from my heart. If you want to grow and experience supernatural spiritual growth this year and move forward spiritually in your, in your spiritual life, then you're going to have to hold tightly to the Word of God. It's our roadmap for living. It's our instruction manual. It's our moral compass. It's our unfailing truth. So everybody say with me, hold it tight. A second thing we're to hold tight is our hope of eternal life. Our hope of eternal life. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold tightly, there's the words. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now notice, he says, we're to hold tightly to something. What are we to hold tightly to? The hope. The hope of what? Well, Paul told Timothy what it is. He said, fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly. There's those two words again. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. What are we to hold tightly to? I'm saved. I've got eternal life. I'm to never forget it. I'm to never let that die. I'm to always rehearse it and and wake up and thank God for it. See, people say, 
Man, I would be thankful, but I can't think of anything to be thankful for. I've lost my job, lost my car, my car broke down, my kids have gone crazy on me. What am I supposed to thank God for? Let me tell you what. You can begin any thanks session by the fact that you have been born again and you're headed for heaven instead of hell. You can thank God for your salvation. And, and Paul said, he said, look, he said, you're going to have to hold tightly to your confession of eternal life. Thank God we're saved. Thank God we're going to have eternal life. And, and you know what? I almost said the wrong thing. I almost said, thank God we're going to have eternal life. But the fact is, you've already got eternal life. See, when you got saved, you went from eternal death to eternal life. Now you have eternal life. And one day, Jesus is going to return. And your eternal life doesn't begin then. It just goes to another level. Because when he appears, we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. And he will carry us to glory. And in heaven, there are streets of gold where the gold is so pure, it's like transparent glass. It's see-through gold. It's so pure, it's see-through gold. And the walls are made of pearls and jaspers and all kinds of precious stones. And in the middle of that place called heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is glowing with such glory, such brilliant glory. There's no more need for a sun to light the day and no more need for the moon to light the night because the Son of God and the glory exuding from him lights up that place called heaven. And we're going there. Amen. So Paul said, keep it in your mind. Keep it in your mind. You've got eternal life. Hold on to it. Don't let anybody tell you it's not true. Don't let anybody tell you there's a lot of ways to heaven. Oh, no, there's only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's been in the news lately that a couple of well-known Christian leaders have renounced their faith. One of them was a well-known author, Christian author and pastor. Another one was a well-known songwriter, Christian songwriter. And they came out and said they lost their faith. Everybody was so puzzled by it. And I don't mean to sound like I know everything because I don't. I know very little. But here's what I do know, what the Word of God tells me. What happened to them is the enemy got into their mind and pried out of their hands that sword that they're to be hanging on to, that we're to hold on tight to eternal life, our confession of eternal life, our expectancy of eternal life, our anticipation of eternal life. We're to talk it up. We're to pray it up. We're to praise it up. We're we're to, to think it up. We're to keep it in our minds all the time. Jesus told a parable of a wicked servant. The parable was about a master of a house who went on a long journey. It's interesting to me that Jesus said long journey because the master of the house is Jesus in the parable. And he left the house, which is the church, over to others. And one of the people in the house, in the church, a man, made a deadly statement to himself. He said, my Lord delays his coming. Uh, My master is taking a long time. And in that statement, we know he's letting go of the expectation of eternal life. He's losing his faith. He's fainting in his faith. And the parable reveals that as soon as he let go, instead of holding tight, he changed. He began to beat the other servants. So he got violent. He got mean. And it says both men and women 
and he began to eat and drink and get drunk. This parable reveals that the moment we let go and don't hold tight anymore to eternal life, we slide back into the world from which Jesus delivered us. So it's so important to lay hold of, to keep hold of your faith. That's why the Bible says we have this hope of eternal life as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What's an anchor for? If I'm, if I'm in a ship and I want to stop somewhere and I don't want to go anywhere and I want to stay in one location, I drop an anchor. And that grabs hold of rocks down there. And though the wind is blowing and the waves are rolling, my ship does not drift because it's got an anchor. And the anchor in this verse is our confession of eternal life, our belief that we've got a Savior, and one day we're going to heaven. And it's like an anchor for our soul. So let the winds of the world blow. Let the waves of wickedness roll. We will not drift as long as the anchor is set in the rock. And the anchor is our confession. Come on, everybody. The last thing we've got to hold on to tightly is this, a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Uh, in the New Testament, I didn't know this till I got ready for this message, but there's over 30 references in the New Testament alone to the conscience the conscience, what is it? It's a God-given inner guidance system. God-given. That when we do right, we have peace of mind. When we do wrong, we are troubled by guilt. That is God's gift to you and me. It's a conscience. Now, when it says a clear conscience, it means a conscience that is right with God, that has been forgiven, and it's right with God now. You're right with God. Your sins are under the blood. There's no more condemnation. Now you have peace. That's a clear conscience. A clear conscience is the world's very best sleeping pill. When you're right with God and right with men, you can sleep because your conscience is clear. Paul the Apostle said that keeping a clear conscience was a numero uno, number one priority for his whole life. Listen to what he said. I strive always, always, every day, to keep my conscience clear before God, vertical, and man, horizontal. He said, I keep short accounts with God. If I mess up, think something, say something, do something I shouldn't, I don't let it lie. I don't give it a long shelf life. I don't let sin in my life rot and stink. He said, if I mess up, I immediately take it to God because I strive always to keep my conscience clear between God and between others. Our conscience is not foolproof. That's why we need the Bible to keep it sharp. Because if I've got a flint stone right here and a big hunting knife, every time I run that knife over that flint stone, it sharpens that knife. The more I run it across that flint stone, the sharper it is. If I fail to take it across that flint stone for too long, that knife gets dull. Your conscience and my conscience are the same way. Every day when we run our conscience over the flintstone of the Word of God, it keeps us sharp. It keeps our conscience clear. It keeps our faith strong. So that's why I say get in the Word of God every day because we need it, because it corrects us. It tells us what is true and what is not. It shows us how to walk, how to live, how to forgive, how to stay clean. 
So Paul said, I strive. You don't want your conscience getting dull. I have a GPS in my car. All, most of you do. But see, my GPS helps me because I can lead anybody to heaven, but I get lost two, two blocks from home. That's not literal, but I get lost pretty easy. I don't know what it is. I, you know, I know the way to get to heaven. That's good. I'm glad for that. Amen. But, but when I want to go somewhere in my car, I type into my GPS where I want to go. You know how it works. And when I do that, it sets for me a route. And not only is it set for me a route, but that thing talks to me. It tells me how to get there. As soon as I pull out of the driveway to go where I want to go, that GPS talks to me. Turn right, turn left, go here, go there. Don't go here, don't go there. It talks to me. But sometimes when I choose to not listen, and, and that happens every once in a while, I go, what are you talking about? I know the way. I, I'm going to go my own way. You're wrong this time. And if I, if I fail to go the way it's telling me, it says off route. Off route. You're off route. And if I insist on going my own way, it continues to tell me off route, off route, off route, off route. One day I wanted to figure out how to switch that thing off. Because after a while, I don't like some machine telling me that I'm wrong. Now, some of you, your spouse is your GPS. And you know you don't like them telling you too much that you're wrong. The, the wise spouse will let you get lost and won't say a word. But here's the deal. If I stubbornly stay off route and it keeps talking to me, I will switch it off. Now, listen, that's what you can do with your conscience. It says off route, off route. That direction is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. That person is wrong. This thing is wrong. The way you're going is wrong. Off route, off route. And if we keep on saying, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going my own way, I don't care what you say, eventually we'll switch it off. We'll switch the conscience off. People do it all the time. We switch it off. And when we switch our conscience off, and we don't listen to off route anymore, we're in real. Never, never, never take a warning from God lightly. When he says off route, you need to go, oh, which way do I need to go? Let me get it right quick because I know where it leads if I ignore the voice of God. See, this is what happens. First time he says off route, we hear him loud and clear. Off route, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, I'm going my own way. I hear you, but I'm going to go my own way in this situation. Next time he comes, it's like this, off route. I'm going my own way. Next time he comes, off route. I'm going my own way. Next time, we don't hear him. Because we have grown what the Bible calls dull of hearing. And when we are dull of hearing, we go our own way. The only thing that's going to happen Paul said to Timothy, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Because you see, when I ignore the voice of the Lord, off route, off route, yeah, 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 I'm going my own way. Eventually, when I, when I 
turn off the conscience. A mist falls spiritually. And I'm in a fog now. And I can't see the rocks that I'm about to sail into. Now I'm out there. I'm in the middle of the sea with no compass, with no anchor. I can't see land in any direction. And the thunderstorms are forming overhead. And now what do I do? Because I didn't listen to God. And now I'm out there and I'm in big trouble. The only one that can get you back to shore is the Lord. And he will get you back to shore if you cry out quick and say, Lord, help me. But, you, but the bottom line is you didn't need to be all the way out there. And in all that trouble, you could have stopped with the first off course. But that's the, the importance of a clear conscience. When your conscience is clear, uh, you're good. You see clearly. You can see your enemy. You, can, you can't fight an enemy you can't see. And you can't see if your conscience isn't clear. That's why it says, with a clear conscience, we wage a good warfare. Stand with me today, would you? And I want you to say with me, hold tightly to God's word, the hope of eternal life, and a clear conscience. Can you see why we need to hold tightly to these things? Here's the good news. If you obey, if you immediately obey when God says, off course, off course, off course, you're off course. If we obey, our conscience gets clear, our faith gets sharp, and we are more sensitive to the call of God than we were before that test. Amen. Amen. We grow. So I want us to lift our hands to the Lord today, can we? I love you, church, and that's why I tell you the truth. I don't, I don't come out here to tickle ears. I come out here to bless you, edify you, warn you of the devil's tactics so that you're not taken, you're not robbed, you're not cheated. You don't lose. I want you to win. So I'm telling you the truth. Say with me, Lord, in 2020, help me to hold tight to your word. Hold tight to my hope of eternal life. Hold tight to a clear conscience. Now maybe right now, you need to say, Jesus, forgive me. I've resisted you. I've gone my own way. And now, Lord, I'm out there, and I need you to bring me home. You can repent right here, right now. I repent all the time. I'll think something, say something that I shouldn't have said. Before church this morning, before the first service, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> brought something up I said a few days ago. And he said, that didn't please me. And I said, why didn't you tell me then? You weren't listening. But I repented back there before I ever came out here. And I said, I, I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have said it. The Holy Ghost knows where we need to get it right. So, Lord, forgive us if there's anything between us and you. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to walk out with a clear conscience that immediately hears the voice of God. And, Father, I pray over this congregation that you will help us to be strong in you. Enter 2020, letting go of what we should that is wrong and holding tight to what is right. In Jesus' name. And maybe before I go, you need to come to Jesus and be saved.
You can do it right where you are. All you've got to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. I place my faith in you as my Savior. Come into my heart, Lord, and he'll do it right where you stand. Father, I bless this congregation, and I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, help us to glorify you this year. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise?